Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that my next six-month leadership programme will start in January 2024. If you would like to be part of this transformational experience, you can find all the information you need on the Dive Deep Climb High website. As the previous delegate said, this course is a must for anyone invested in being the best leader they can be. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into how we can best motivate our teams, which is no easy task. My guest has worked in a number of unique venues, ranging from West Ham United Football Club to London Science Museum, before moving into the world of academia. Currently, he's head of conferences and events at the University of Leeds, and he brings with him a wealth of experience and his own style of leading and managing the teams he works with, which has been influenced by his own career journey. I cannot wait to start this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome the hugely talented Sam Glenister Beatty. Sam, hello. Hello, thank you very much. What a lovely introduction. Oh, you are very welcome. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation, especially as years and years and years ago, I used to work at the University of Leeds conference office. So this is going to be a great conversation. (laughs) Now, I know that even though you made the transition, you are very well known within the sector. But for those listeners that may not have heard of you, could you share a little bit about your career journey and how you've ended up in this academic space? Yeah, no problem. Uh, So I think I I sort of fell into the academic sector, really, because I think I started out um, with kind of events and wanting to work in the events industry is kind of what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of remember sort of taking this all the way back, kind of when looking at options for degrees, um, always wanting to kind of work in a job that involved working with people, something that was really collaborative, where you could use my skills of problem solving, being organised. And uh, I'd never heard of events management being a degree. Uh, so I was delighted when I saw that. And so I kind of started out there, really. And as uh, as your introduction uh, suggests, I've kind of worked in sort of a range of different venues from football clubs to museums, but typically kind of in the sort of third sector. So working in uh, venues where it's sort of creates sort of generating money and hosting events for the greater good, as I like to think of it. And I kind of always enjoyed working in those kind of venues I think because it kind of brings out those problem solving skills when you're working in venues like museums uh, or the Tower of London, as I did, where you've kind of got these buildings which were not built for events in any way, um, but trying to sort of think about how you can kind of be most creative uh, to create create an exceptional event experience for people. So I kind of started there before kind of moving into sort of higher education in my last job before Leeds um, at the Royal College of Music. 
And I was really, um, really excited about that opportunity because they hadn't sort of formalized an events offer in the past. And following a 40 million pound building development, my role was a new role there to kind of sort of step in and sort of create the, an event strategy to kind of launch this to the market. So that was kind of my first step into the academic world. And I think I've absolutely loved it from there. Um, the I think universities and, and academia have kind of got a such a fantastic culture to kind of work with. They kind of really sort of look after their staff. Um, it's a re- really sort of around kind of motivating and inspiring kind of staff on that journey. And I think it just clicked with me because it's very much the way that I've always sort of tried to be or been throughout my career. And so kind of landing in sort of the academic sector kind of just felt like I'd sort of arrived home uh, almost. And uh, yeah, and I've been at the University of Leeds now for coming up to 18 months, I guess. Uh, now started at the beginning of last summer. And um, it's just been a, a roller coaster ever since, but one that I've definitely enjoyed being on. There's been some uh, sort of some focuses, which has been kind of launching a new venue as the university had acquired a new conference centre. So it's uh, it's been an exciting journey of not just kind of picking up what had been done and done very well and continuing with that, but really actually kind of doing a, a whole change project in terms of kind of the way that um, the, the office worked because it was a completely new customer, new way of working, new product. So it's been a it's been a journey so far, but one I've enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. And they can't see it, but you can see it. I'm I'm like nodding away because it's like, <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and it is. I mean, and I, I think especially if you, if you've made that transition as I did as well, and it's just this fantastic challenge. It can be hugely infuriating but that is part of the beauty of it as well so fantastic and we will get into that later but but to start with I'd like to take you back to sort of the start of your career because today is about how you now motivate and lead your teams but also your career journey that you've been on and who's inspired you who did you look at and think no I'm not going to do that so so taking you right back tell us a little bit about those people that influenced you either for the good or for the, and actually all of it's good. So good as in, yes, I really want to adopt that sort of style, but but also good in as I'm never going to do that. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So I think sort of going sort of back my early sort of jobs in my career, I kind of had through the first, say, two or three kind of very authoritative or laissez-faire managers, which it's kind of two opposite ends of the scale there. So for those that sort of don't know, authoritative is kind of very much a sort of top-down approach. Decisions are made by the managers for employees to follow, very kind of closed on kind of strategic vision. It's all about micromanagement. And unless they fair at the other end, it's kind of very hands-off, just leaving people to do what they want. And I sort of had a mix of managers that, depending on the day of the week, could be one of those two styles. I always felt if I didn't quite know where I stood, and always kind of remembering that it sort of didn't feel quite right. It certainly wasn't kind of the best type of sort of management or leadership to kind of get the best out of me. Because um, I think as part of that, I often had managers who took the credit for, for work that I'd done. Uh, so problems were mine to own, but successes were theirs. And these were kind of jobs sort of very early on um, in my career. And I think to be fair to those kind of, they were very kind of young junior sort of managers themselves. And I don't think maybe had very much guidance. I don't necessarily think it's a reflection on, on them. But I was quite fortunate that early on in my career, uh, I was only actually a year sort of post-university after doing my degree in events management and out in the working world. It was um, yeah just over a year before I actually stepped into my first leadership role. 
So I stepped up and was leading a team, uh, a sales team at the time, because um, that's where I started. And I was kind of given advice by my manager at the time to, I suppose, to follow his style, which was slightly more authoritative and to kind of not have not have relationships with the team, kind of be very hands off. Um, so to kind of drive and motivate them through targets and sort of, I suppose more punishment if things have gone wrong. And that's how I started because that's what I had seen and that's what I was told to do. Um, but it always never sat right with me. I think being quite young as well within that post, actually the team I was managing were all the same age as me and the other senior leaders in the team, there was a bit of a difference. So I think culturally I kind of maybe related more to my team as well maybe kind of understood their motivations and maybe what was driving them, challenges they might find. And I think it sort of took me probably about a year within that role to, to change my style, something I felt more comfortable with, uh, to kind of engage more with my team, to, to bring them involved with vision and the kind of strategy that we were doing. So explaining to them the why, not just telling them what to do. And the difference in results was was just so clear. We I remember having sort of bumper years with sales, record numbers of events, and I think that's kind of the first time I started to have a little bit of confidence with um, kind of trusting my gut almost because I was sort of no longer sort of doing what somebody else had told me to do and sort of just doing what felt right a little bit more. And a lot of those team I then sort of managed at that period developed themselves. I think because I brought them along the journey with me. And actually, many of those are kind of now key figures within the events industry um, at different sort of venues or agencies and things like that. And I think kind of what those early experiences showed me more than anything else was that leadership's complex. There's no one size fits all. And that different people, different situations require different styles of leadership. And after all, when you think about it, leadership is about influencing others, sort of different to management in that way. And uh, it's about kind of people bring, bringing people on that journey. And so I think I'd had very similar kind of leaders and managers in those kind of first kind of two or three jobs I had in kind of throughout university or sort of just after. And it took me sort of going through a few to kind of really kind of find my own style and I'm cautious with this as well. It's it's not about kind of saying that the styles of those managers or leaders were wrong in any way. It was right for them. And ultimately, it actually gave me the room to grow and develop myself. But it just, it wasn't the style that I felt most comfortable delivering uh, to my teams. And yeah, you have to kind of go through different styles to kind of figure that out for yourself, really. It's so brilliant what you say. And I think actually starting out in your career, seeing a style of leadership that doesn't sit right for you and then doing something different is actually incredibly brave. And, and you know, I was writing down so much stuff, you know, leadership is complex. It's not one size fits all. It's not about right or wrong. All of those things are absolutely correct because it is about figuring out who you are, how you want to work. And, and you said, you know, it, it's about doing what feels right and trusting your gut and I think sometimes within the higher education sector specifically it can be quite hard to do that because there are so many policies and procedures and there can be a bit of a grievance culture as well that stops managers or leaders doing what they think is right because they're fearful of somebody's going to put in a, a grievance so I'm really interested from 
your perspective, if if your team now were to describe your leadership style, how would they describe you? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I suppose uh, I would hope that they would describe me as a leader that's sort of engaging, collaborative, somebody that listens, uh, charismatic. Uh, I mean, these are ideals, right? This is how I'm hoping they uh, they would describe me. Um, and yeah, I, I think the kind of type of leadership I I feel that I kind of most uh, sort of sit comfortably in, and I think I've probably been more so with my team at this stage is sort of what's sort of often described as transformational leadership. And I think, but that's again slightly situational because we've had so much change uh, to deliver over the kind of the past year since I've been at the University of Leeds um, because I joined sort of in a sort of post-pandemic world where events were happening weren't happening and I think the academic sector was slower to recover uh, well I don't think we know from data the academic sector was slower to recover than other other areas of the events industry and and the reason for that is because a lot of the academic and association business is business that's booked two, three, sometimes four years ahead. And so when the pandemic happened and there was kind of a big gap for that period and people didn't feel comfortable or know what was happening, it meant that in those kind of years, late 21, 2022, when across the UK you kind of saw a bumper years and record years that wasn't necessarily reflected in the academic world. And actually a lot of teams within the academic sector, uh, this was true at Leeds as well, People had potentially been redeployed to different parts of the university because, as we know, a lot of the skills people working in the conference office are very transferable. It's all about being organised, problem solving, collaborative skills that were essential during that pandemic period where everything was flipped on its head. And so we had lots of colleagues that kind of wanted to work in other services such as accommodation, resi life, catering and others across the university and actually when that happened at the conference office at Leeds that those roles weren't replaced because events weren't happening in the same way so I joined the team um, as the ninth member and it was quite a depleted size and within the past year we've grown that to 20 which is just about to come 22 and in addition to this uh, sorry we also had uh, Clothall Court our new uh, dedicated city centre conference venue that the university had purchased uh, and got the keys for uh, in March 2020. Perfect time to acquire a conference centre, as we all know. <laughs> and uh, it had been used as a nightingale court um, throughout the pandemic. So where um, the court system had huge backlogs as a result of the pandemic, and they opened 10 nightingale courts across the country. Uh, and Clothall Court was one of those. So I had three, um, three courts operating there. And that contract finished it, uh, was due to finish in March 2023. So when I joined, I had about eight, nine months to put in all the processes and launch a new venue, grow a team that had shrunk as a result of the pandemic, all while getting my feet under the table, understanding how leads worked um, and understand the vast portfolio of venues to offer. I mean, there's 300 plus rooms. As you all know, Mel, it's not exactly a small campus. So when I joined, it was... Because of the deadline looming with Clothall Court, uh, court ending with the court, uh, with plans to reopen it, um, everything had to move quite quickly. So I kind of felt that transformational leadership style was definitely kind of the one to kind of lean into. And I mean, this type of leadership kind of really aims to kind of motivate and inspire people, getting them on board with 
the strategic goals. And I thought if, I, if the team are not on board with this, I'm really going to struggle. Um, I didn't think that kind of being uh, authoritative or kind of very direct with it was necessarily the right way. And as I sort of mentioned before, leadership is complex. And I think that there's not just one style. I say transformational, as I think that was kind of the overarching one, but there's kind of elements of charismatic leadership, strategic leadership that were kind of used at different times. So I think strategic leadership sort of styles were kind of used very much when talking to senior leaders to show that there was a very clear vision um, that I was taking the service in. Charismatic leadership when kind of working with other services. So, for example, we had to engage our comms team really quickly to say that we needed to review the brand, launch a new website. And so basically kind of really small projects that they hadn't actually had on their workload at all that I had to try and convince them it was the right thing to, to squeeze these in um, and kind of bring them along that journey with me as well. So, um, so overall, I think trying to sort of look at, yeah, transformational leadership with kind of other elements brought in when looking at different people. Now, I'm not saying I think that, that always went well. Um, I think sometimes being really busy and actually trying to get my head down, I don't think I always got it right. I think that's kind of what I set out to do. And actually, I think I kind of maybe veered from that course a couple of times. And actually, because I tried to lead from the very start, kind of with vulnerability, kind of let my team sort of know that we'll kind of we'll be working together on this, kind of embrace kind of some of that uncertainty uh, actually, the team kind of felt comfortable. A few members of the team who actually came to me kind of felt like they didn't know what was happening, where we were with things. Maybe that some of their experience was being overlooked, some of the longer serving members of the team. And actually, it was thanks to them being able to kind of come to me and talk about some of these things that then we can kind of yeah, do a course correction and kind of get back on track and maybe slow down the pace and kind of realise if the whole team are not on that journey then actually it doesn't necessarily matter if we get there because the team are going to be scattered behind us. And so sort of taking a pause, reviewing kind of where we were, we held, we held an away day to kind of re-engage all members of the team uh, and kind of really kind of bring them on board. And yeah, I think those things worked. I mean, ultimately we, we delivered a new website, a new brand on time, we delivered a new venue on time. Um, and we kind of managed to grow the team at quite an unorganic pace that felt organic. And it's one of the things actually I'm probably most proud of, but it's not just me. I'm proud of the team and the way that we've actually doubled in size, but the team kind of really feel like they work together as, as one. And particularly, I think some of the challenges we had with that is historically the team's always been based in one location. And for the first time with this new conference center, the team split over two. And so to try and integrate a team with so many new people suddenly split over two different locations um, was a bit of a challenge at first, but I think because the team were aware of the, the vision, the strategy and kind of where we were going, I think that sort of made things slightly easier. So the very long answer to that question there. And I kind of hope based on that and the kind of the approach I took that, yeah, the team kind of do see me as somebody that's uh, approachable and, and kind of shows the, the attributes associated with sort of transformational leadership and, and things in that area. Fantastic. I mean, it sounds like it's been a whirlwind of 18 months. So it's perhaps no surprise that sometimes you veered off and then veered back. But that is the joy. And as you say, that's the time when you rock up and show your vulnerability. And, you know, we are only human. Exactly. <laughs> we don't get it right all of the time. So 
I'm really curious. It sounds like you, well, it doesn't sound, I know (laughs) how much work that will have involved. And also, you know, where the sector was, as you say, as opposed to where it is now. So you're there motivating everybody else, Mm. looking after everyone else. How do you look after yourself? Who looks after you? Great question. Um, I think for me, I'm a big fan of mentoring sideways. And what I mean by that is whenever I've worked in places, it's sort of trying to find a sort of another colleague who's on a similar-ish level where you can open up, speak to each other, kind of give each other advice and guidance. And I think that to me was something that was kind of really important in the early stages when sort of joining the university. I think so I joined the University of Leeds from the Royal College of Music, which the Royal College of Music is one of the smallest universities in the country. So going to the University of Leeds, which is one of the biggest, and then the challenges that sort of come around the ways of working in somewhere that's so vast compared to a slightly smaller organisation. So I think kind of building those kind of strong relationships, I was quite fortunate actually when I joined uh, a head of catering and hospitality joined as well, so we could kind of coach each other and be a, a source to yeah have those conversations with early on um, and I think I think we're quite fortunate at least actually there's a real focus within the facilities directorate where we sit on people and culture it's actually a, a big ongoing project that we're working on because for anyone that kind of works in commercial services and realize that in areas like the facilities there's lots of different departments that do lots of different things unlike the kind of schools and faculties where it's everyone's doing something slightly more similar not always the case but I think trying to kind of create that culture where there's a kind of golden thread that goes through that in terms of the way that we treat people, we treat each other. And I found that really useful. So I've kind of built some really kind of strong relationships with other leaders in the organisation that has supported and helped through those kind of early days. And and I think I've been quite fortunate at Leeds as well with kind of leadership that I've had. My, My boss actually left on Friday. And so it'll be a change of leadership um but yeah I'm quite sort of fortunate that his style was always he kind of sort of let me get on with things but was always there if I rang he would always answer the phone if I needed a door pushed open or an introduction was always there and I think that's kind of exactly what I needed um at this stage so yeah I think I've been quite lucky with the the culture that's at the university um because I think that's enabled me to yeah work through a lot of this brilliant and we can't carry on this conversation without saying that your team has recently been recognised for all the hard work that you've all put in over the last couple of years. So do you want to share what that is? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we were, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we were fortunate enough to, to be awarded the uh, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Awards at the um, MIA Awards, which, yeah, I, just absolutely delighted. Uh, I wouldn't say we're experts in DI. I don't think such a thing exists, uh, to be honest, but it's something that we're very passionate about. And the award that we won was actually for a case study that we submitted uh, and about an event that we host called Communication Matters, uh, which is the leading conference for AAC users, which is Augmentative Alternative Communication. So uh, for people that have difficulty speaking, and a lot of the users um, are in powered wheelchairs as well. And with many of them kind of being non-verbal and having to use um, sort of digital aids to support with that. And some of the work that we've done with them, we've gone over and above some of the work that we do. I would say it's expected of a host venue. And they 
are sort of big advocates of the communication access training. Now, I, I encourage everybody to do this. It's It takes about an hour. Most of it's common sense, but it just gives people the, the confidence in how to kind of speak to people that have difficulty speaking themselves. Now, as we have many AAC users that attend the conference, we could control their experience once they got to campus. So once they were on campus, we had ensured that everybody in the conference office, the catering office, venue managers, the accommodation teams, anyone that they would engage with had taken the communication access training. Uh, but we kind of wanted to take that one step further. So we um, engaged conference leads, the Convention Bureau for the city, and worked with them and, and they've taken a lot of this work themselves. And so it's, it's again, it's that collaborative piece to kind of ensure that hotels within the city, people at the train station, um, it's kind of wider than just what we can do um, at our level, but ensuring that those delegates feel welcomed the minute they come to the city, because that does affect the experience. And if she, even if they have the best experience when they're with us on campus, but in the hotels they're in or the train stations where they're coming through, they're not having the best experience, then they're not having the best experience in Leeds and they're not having the best experience with us. So um, as part of that work, we've kind of spoken at a few different conferences uh, and exhibitions and sort of tried to get the word out there within the sector, um, sort of both the um, academic and the sort of events and hospitality sector as well. So, yeah, so absolutely delighted to be awarded the award. Um, and yeah, this is an ongoing piece of work for us. That kind of case study really focuses around accessibility, but I think that the work that colleagues uh, in DEI are sort of doing is is ongoing and actually is essential. So yeah, that's a good start for us though and something we'll continue with. Yeah, I know when you're building a new team and you do something like that and you, you win an award, it really is a great motivating factor. So well done. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> and just one thing, and you've mentioned it several times throughout our conversation, you've talked about how important collaboration is so for you what do you mean by collaboration collaboration is is working well I mean there's lots of different ways you could look at it but in terms of I suppose this context in terms of achieving some of these goals it's working with your teams um, and that's listening so it's engaging with teams so Kind of taking everybody's kind of feedback on board when when working on something but also not just within the sort of your own teams but working across services to to achieve a, a joint goal or objective and maybe if i sort of use an example of something i'm working on at the moment and something we've won because we just won the bid to host the uk corporate games next year so for those who don't know what that is it's the largest multi-sport event for businesses so as i like to say the olympics for for corporates and there's going to be up to sort of 3,000 delegates that will be coming to, to Leeds to take part in lots of different sports, running, football, hockey, and as well as ones that you might not expect, such as go-karting, poker and bowling. <laughs> um, and my personal favourite, dragon boat racing. And this was a, a joint bid that we put in with Leeds City Council. So again, there's collaboration there that, that we can host all the sports they couldn't host all the sports and actually it needed to be a joint venture that actually the city were working with the university to bring this event to the city. So there's collaboration from there as understanding what the city needs to get out of it and why it's important to them, again, vice versa, um, to kind of put that together. But for, more than that, on the university side, I had to work really closely with colleagues in um, sport, catering, accommodation, health and well-being, 
comms, uh, the union, estates, campus services, and the list is is longer than that. And it's kind of a real piece of work where actually we're kind of all sort of coming together to to deliver on something. Actually, this wasn't something that was in the plan. It wasn't in a strategy. Um, we were kind of approached about the bid. And so there's a kind of a real piece of work about engaging people from all of those services at lots of different levels to engage them of this is why we want to do this. This is why this is good for the university. This is what we hope to get out of it. And I think the fact that we we won that bid against some strong competition as well was, was that something that the, the organisers kind of fed back to us was about that real collaboration piece. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of what collaboration means to me is about kind of engaging with people and joint objectives. And that wasn't just about me saying, this is why I think we should do it. It's if we hosted this, what do you want to get out of it? What does success look like for you with this? And actually what sport want from it will be slightly different to what we want from it, to what accommodation want from it. And we actually did a really sort of good piece of work last year where we kind of finessed some of those objectives to actually kind of hold ourselves accountable with this because um, there's such a large steering group that we've got now for this and kind of making sure that we don't lose sight of actually kind of why we want to do this in the first place. Brilliant. Fantastic example. Thank you so, so much. I love that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's going to be a fun time in Leeds, isn't it? When they all come and descend on the city, <laughs> dragon boat racing. <laughs> I know, I'm hoping we can kind of get a senior team from the university, maybe from the university executive group and a, a dragon boat. But uh, I'll carry on campaigning for that. I'll let you know how I get on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going out across the airways now. You set your intention. So, <laughs> <laughs> so changing tack slightly, when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? So diving deep, I think there's kind of been a series of moments across my leadership journey. I don't think there's necessarily kind of one specific kind of point. Um, and I mean, I've, I've given some examples today where I had to kind of review the way that I wanted to be a leader to change from the kind of the way that I'd been told to be. And I kind of had to dive deep to, I suppose, go against my own leaders and managers at that time to do what felt right for me. Um, and I think that's happened kind of across my journey, really. So, yeah, I think there's a series of moments. And I think to be a strong leader, in my opinion, actually, it's a continuous journey. And that's through training, education, coaching, mentorship. I think if you look at any leader that's not doing anything to develop themselves, I would worry. And I I love kind of going on different sort of training courses. Um, I recently sort of did a master's, which kind of focused on a lot of management and leadership styles. I've often had mentors um, and mentees at the same time and so yeah I think diving deep is is something that you've got to do every day if you want to develop you have to challenge yourself to challenge yourself you have to dive deep absolutely I couldn't agree more maybe you should come and do this job <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant I love that I love that and you're absolutely right I couldn't agree more so when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree so I mentioned that I worked at the Royal College of Music now, I started there um, in January 2020. And before sort of taking this job, I had some slight reservations because it sounded like a fantastic opportunity to go in somewhere following this multi-million pound development they just um, undertaken, lots of new venues and performance spaces, and a kind of real chance for me to, to create something from the ground up. So it was really exciting. Now, my reservations came from that I didn't have a background in music. I've always been very passionate about music. I enjoy music. I've been surrounded by music. My cousin uh, is actually a student at the Royal College of Music when I was interviewing to go there. 
My husband is a passionate clarinet player and also plays the keyboard. But it's something I've sort of never done. So I was kind of worried that there would be some kind of nuances and niches that I would maybe kind of struggle with. But throughout the interview process, I was kind of assured that they were looking for somebody who was an expert within the kind of commercial realm events. And so I kind of put those to one side and, and kind of stepped in uh, and took the job. Now, it was only about six weeks in that suddenly I was, uh, like the rest of the country, locked up at home, working from home. And so I, one, became nervous for my job, as I think most people that work in kind of events or conferences did at that time, because they weren't possible. And the difficulty I had is the building development hadn't quite finished, but I was then tasked with writing a strategy and business plan around what events would look like. Now, I was hoping that I was going to be able to immerse myself in this kind of musical world uh, when I started and, and the venues and suddenly all of that was taken away from me. I kind of certainly felt like a fish climbing a tree there and I had to kind of quickly pivot to looking at kind of digital events, fundraising events and really kind of push myself out of my comfort zone. And I think throughout that period, I kind of probably identified some limiting beliefs that I had that kind of sort of maybe held me back in the kind of the early stages and and I felt because I hadn't immersed myself in that in that world at that stage that actually suddenly the rest of my skills which I developed over my career and they employed before suddenly were worthless but I kind of yeah persevered um kind of pushed through and as we all know lockdown restrictions inevitably ended and alongside the team that I worked with there at the time uh we kind of yeah put together a, a plan and the launch of events there went really well but it was a really challenging time, I think, for me, in my own beliefs and kind of sort of management styles, because I couldn't necessarily work in that same way. And I'm sure this is something that resonates with a lot of people in terms of the, yeah, how we had to kind of pivot our styles during that period. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You're rocking up with your vulnerability there. And <laughs> and I think that is really interesting. And it, it is really interesting how we can be quite confident. And then there's something that happens and and we are challenged and we're challenged in one area. But for some reason, that has a knock on effect that makes us think, well, actually, am I where I think I am? And yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that will resonate with lots and lots of people. Oh, my goodness. I knew this was going to be a fantastic conversation <laughs> and it absolutely has been. So if people want to find out more, learn more, maybe reach out and say, would you be my mentor or can I be your co-mentor, whatever it might be, how can they do that? So um, find me on LinkedIn, Sam Glendisabeti. Uh, I think we'll put the link in the show notes as well. We will. And yeah, so message me on there. There's also um, kind of through the new University of Leeds conference and events website, kind of details about what we do there. And for anyone who's in the academic venue sector doing similar roles, I'm also uh, a board member for Academic Venue Solutions and will be at the conference, which is coming up at the beginning of December in Nottingham. So um, if anybody's there and wants to have a chat in between sessions or at the dinner and the awards there, then yeah, do come over and uh, we can share, share stories and yeah, have a chat. Fantastic. I will make sure that all of those links go in the show notes. So it just leaves me to say a very, very big thank you for rocking up this morning, being so honest and open and sharing your career journey and your leadership tips and tools with us. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with? Uh, so I think kind of distilling everything that we've kind of discussed today, my words of wisdom will be, I think, as leaders, we should measure ourselves on the achievements of our team rather than our own work. And I think when we frame it like that, 
it's very easy to then switch leadership style to situation or different team members, which hopefully will uh, improve results. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't.